Turn our Bibles today to First Peter and chapter two. First Peter and chapter two. <clears throat> Coming to think together of this third uh, simile in this wonderful section in First Peter 2, and the simile of, of an immigrant. <clears throat> Immigration and immigrants is a subject that we have some knowledge of, don't we? The news is constantly bringing this subject before us. The legislation about transporting immigrants to Rwanda it was agreed last week, or certainly some parts of it. The rights and wrongs of this matter are being debated and will be debated not only between political parties but also within the political parties. The issue of immigration has far-reaching implications for many groups. It's an impact on the NHS staff and beds. It affects fruit farmers in the south of England but most fundamentally it has an impact on the lives of families who have a real desire to live in the United Kingdom or in some other country. So this third simile that Peter adopts to describe a Christian is that of immigrants in verse 11. We have noticed that in this second chapter, as I've said, the apostle uses a trilogy of similes to describe Christians. He's described them as babes who hunger after the pure milk, and we understood that last week as the Word of God, having a craving, a desire, a healthy appetite day by day, for God's word, Old and New Testament, Genesis to Revelation. He described them as living stones related to one another, upholding one another, depending upon one another, and ultimately all leaning on Christ, the cornerstone. And so the third and final simile in this section is that of a sojourner, of an exile, of an immigrant. The term as sojourners uses the same Greek word translated as like in verse 2 and in verse 5, indicating there's an intentional grammatical connection between these three similes in this chapter. Not only does this approach make these 12 verses more memorable for us and for the original readers, but the three similes cover an ever-widening area of Christian living. The areas of these similes are all different. The personal Bible reading and listening in the church service. To the church and the stones upholding other believers and depending on other believers. And now, thirdly, it's a wider circle still to the world and living as immigrants within society and our workplace in our neighborhood, an ever-widening circle in these three similes. So the two terms in verse 11, like sojourners and exiles, are similar. And they describe people who have been permanently displaced from their homeland or who have chosen to leave their homeland and are making their home long-term or short-term in another land. In term experiences of voluntary or involuntary displacement, temporary or permanent residence in a foreign country. And our current term and popular term, immigrant, captures the idea meant by these two words very well. Someone from a different country and culture living in Northern Ireland or some other country for a period of months or permanently from Poland from Latvia, from Bulgaria, and of course, from Venezuela. 
or Scotland. <coughs> okay. It's not a random simile which Peter selects here. We've noticed the possible background to the other similes that he's used. Newborn babes may be rooted in his own family. Peter was married and probably had children. Living Stones was connected to his change of name we saw last week. From Simon to Peter, which means a stone. And so in this third simile, it is important for us, interesting for us, useful for us to ask, is there a background to this use of this simile of immigrant? Well, we have learned in chapter 1 and verse 1 that the apostle is addressing his readers as those who are strangers that are scattered in the region of Asia, possibly former residents of Rome who had been expelled from that city around AD 60 because of their commitment to the Lord Jesus. Now they are living in a foreign city, a foreign country. They know what this is like to be an exile and a sojourner somewhere else. And this is the genius of this simile, that what was true of them socially is also true of them spiritually. They're away from their earthly home but they're also away by the grace of God from their heavenly home. They are a people with a different set of values, interests, and hopes, not only socially and ethnically, but spiritually as well. What a brilliant pastoral approach, digging into and connecting with where his readers are. He chooses something that resonates with them, that captures their circumstance, their imagination, and their pain. It indicates thoughtfulness and care and love for his hearers. And the Psalms are full of such pictures, aren't they, which capture the pain of the sufferer. Just doing what Peter's doing here, he's capturing their circumstance and all the displacement and the pain. And often the psalmist uses a simile or an image to encapsulate the emotional turmoil of his heart. And so, for example, the psalmist says, as you know, I am like a pelican in the wilderness. I am like a sparrow on the rooftop. And the psalmist takes all that pent-up emotion and trauma and projects it into an image, a simile, which helps him think through and understand his trouble. But not only is this simile rooted in the current culture of the readers, but it's also rooted, as you'd imagine, in the Old Testament. Saturated in the Old Testament as the apostles were, here Peter echoes the very words. This is interesting for me, for all of us, of Genesis 23 verse 4. Abraham says there, Genesis 23 verse 4, using the very same words as 2 Peter, verse 11, 1 Peter 2, verse 11, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. These two terms used by Abraham, who had come hundreds of miles from Ur of the Chaldees to live in the land of Canaan, he was from a different country, from a different culture. He described himself there, Genesis 23, verse 4, as a sojourner and as a foreigner. Here's Peter, who just stolen those words from Abraham, 
Once again, making this connection to the Old Testament and aligning these New Testament believers scattered across modern-day Turkey and showing them this connection they have in God's redemptive history to the father of the faith, what he experienced socially and spiritually. They're experiencing socially and spiritually. He owned no land or property in Canaan. A foreigner and a sojourner. Like him, they're immigrants, socially and spiritually. This paragraph contains for us an analysis of this simile. Saturated with phrases from the Old Testament, from Genesis 1, Exodus 19 that we read, Isaiah 43, Hosea 2, the reference that we've had to Abraham. The writer sets out this dual aspect of an immigrant, that they are in the world, but not of the world. Like the oil in the glass, they're both in the glass, but they're separated. And we want to think of this dual aspect of an immigrant in the world, but not of the world. So we're thinking, first of all, of our separation as immigrants, and then secondly, as our service. The first point is that we're not of the world. The second point is that we are in the world. We have something to contribute to the world. And then thirdly, we stand back from it all and we think of our significance as an immigrant. Firstly then, our separation as immigrants. This is in verses 9 and 10, 1 Peter 2. <clears throat> our separation as immigrants. <clears throat> We're not of the world. One aspect of immigrants is that they retain aspects of their home country and culture. They don't leave everything behind. They don't cut loose from everything. Perhaps their dress, perhaps their language, perhaps their food like arapis, or their celebrations remind them of their tradition. And so while they are in another country, they are separate in some ways from that country. So Christians while we are in the world, we're not to be off the world. Our separation as spiritual immigrants is indicated firstly by our status and then secondly here by our behavior. Firstly, our status. Our status as immigrants is indicated by the three words that are used here to describe us. We are chosen, we are holy, and we are called. That indicates our separation as immigrants, holy, chosen, and called, verse 9 and 10. This is who we are as Christians in a fundamental sense. We are separate, called out from society in which we live. Firstly, chosen, a chosen race. A term from Exodus 19 indicating our separation. Originally used of Israel, separate from the Egyptians, the Moabites, the Philistines, the Edomites. God had chosen them, separated them from other nations. They were a chosen race. 
as we choose certain leeks for our soup in the supermarket, we pay for them, we transport them home, we cook them, we choose them, and they become ours by purchase and selection. So God has chosen a people out of the world to be his special possession. This was a point made in chapter 1, verse 2, and here it's been made again. It was a point latched on to by Christian writers in the first century, and they talked about a third race, God's chosen people from Jews and from Christians who were brought into the church to make a third race. The second expression is a holy nation, indicating the same idea of separation. It shows that we are set apart unto God. What holy means. It contains the idea of separation from, but also the idea of separation unto. The temple was holy. Jerusalem was holy because it was set apart to God. And so Christians are holy. We are set apart from the world unto God. A holy person It's not an odd person, a killjoy, but a person devoted to God. And thirdly, called out of darkness. The rest of the world is in darkness morally and spiritually. But Christians are separate from that darkness. They have been called out of that darkness into the light. We are spiritual immigrants living in the world But we are not of the world. We are chosen, holy, called. Their behavior reflects that status. The expression in verse 11 is, abstain from the passions of the flesh. This includes all expressions of the remnants of the sinful nature within us. We are changed. We are called from that. We are new men and women regenerated by God's Spirit. And we are to abstain from the passions of the flesh. In Northern Ireland, evidences of immigrants retaining their culture is seen in food shops which sell goods which belong to other cultures and which cannot be purchased in our large supermarkets. They are in another country, but they retain features of their homeland. Food reflects a culture and enables immigrants to retain a solid link to their homeland. For example, some immigrants visit the Asian market in Belfast so that they can get ingredients to cook their national dishes. They are in another country but not completely off that other country. And people should know that we do not belong here. They should know by our speech, by what is not there, the no swearing, the no taking God's name in vain, and by what is there, the kindness, the truthfulness, the humility, The other evening at Presbytery, one member apologized publicly to another member for addressing him harshly. And that is right. And perhaps we all should be doing more of that because 
We are spiritual immigrants in this world. We have different values. We are called to be followers of Jesus. And people should know by our actions. They should see our complete devotion to our spouse and not our lustful gaze after other men or women walking past us in the corridor. And if we're not married, they should witness our moral purity. People around us should know quickly just by our actions that we are Christians, spiritual immigrants, living by a different set of values with a different drive and power and goal. Our separation as immigrants. Secondly, our service as immigrants in verse 9 and 11. Verse 11 speaks of us as proclaiming the excellencies of God. That is proclaimed to the world. We are separate from the world, but we have a service to the world. We are to speak into the world about our God. The phrase comes from Isaiah chapter 43, verse 20 and 21, where the delivered nation of Israel from their captivity tells the nation they were delivered from that it was God who has done this. This is the words. These are the words. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people that they might declare my praise. They were witnesses to the world. The term excellencies used here covers all of God's attributes or his wonderful works that reveal him. We are to talk about the excellencies of our God to the world. We are to promote God. We are to witness about God in this world. Nature reveals just a part of God. A minimal dimension to him. But God leaves us here to be witnesses of his excellencies. This role is encapsulated in two other terms which are used in this paragraph. Priest and light. Priesthood is a term from Exodus 19, a role which included not only praising God, but also mediating the message of God to the world. Malachi states that the priest's lips should keep knowledge, that the priests were to tell the people the meaning of God's word. We are to be priests in the world, to declare the message of God to the nations. We are separate from the world, but we are also teachers of the world. We have a role, an influence on them. The second term here is light. We've been brought into the light. We ourselves have been made light, Jesus says. You are the light of the world. And just as the light on our bedside lamp shines into the darkness and keeps us from getting scared, boys and girls, so we are to shine into the darkness of the world. So separation does not mean isolation from the world, but includes witnessing to it. Our conduct is also uh, to be a witness to the world. Verse 12, the phrase, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. The point here is that though unbelievers might despise our beliefs, they won't fault our behavior, but they'll admire it. They'll honor it. We might attend the funeral of their mother, give them a lift in the rain, 
take in their bin, find their stray dog, be reliable in our workplace. Our conduct minimizes their persecution and even elicits admiration from them. We are in the world as a witness, as a light by our honorable actions. The immigrants have made a powerful impact in many areas within the United Kingdom, in the NHS, in the farming community, and in many other areas of work and life. They've not lived separately from this community and society. In 2023, one source estimates that immigrants contributed £42 billion to the UK economy. We're separate from the world, but we have a service to the world. Responsibility to reach out into our community as a congregation here and as individuals. Jesus charged his disciples and church to take the gospel into all the world. We're to be a light in this town, in the darkness that is around us. We're left in this world, in this congregation, by God, to tell others about him. And thirdly, our significance as immigrants in verse 12. The third aspect, and a really interesting aspect of immigrants, is their significance. We're separate from the world, yet we're connected to the world in a certain sense. And we grasp that separation and yet that connection. But here's another dimension of immigrants, the significance of them. Verse 12, the day of visitation. The term Gentiles in this verse and place is used in a very broad sense, including unbelieving Jews and Gentiles. So the idea here is announcing the significance of immigrants in the world. It's standing back now and considering immigrants who are separate, who are serving. They have a significance in God's eyes. What is that significance? It's that unbelievers will glorify God. Because of them, in the day of visitation, that because of the lifestyle and the work and the ministry and the separation and the service of the immigrants, there will come a time when unbelievers who have lived side by side with these spiritual immigrants will glorify God in the day of visitation. And that is connected to the witness and life of the immigrant. Their honorable behavior, their witness, but what does it mean? And there's two views that are propounded. The first, I don't favor, but I'll tell you. And the second, I think, is, 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 is the better one. Some think it refers to the day of judgment. So the day of visitation is when the Lord Jesus Christ, and he certainly will, will return from heaven he will raise the dead. He will determine the everlasting destiny of everyone. The phrase is then understood in a negative sense that at that moment, unbelievers will glorify God in the sense of admitting that they were wrong, that Christians were right. It will be a reluctant admission, an admission through gritted teeth. They will glorify God reluctantly in the day of the second coming of Jesus. But I think the better understanding of this 
is that this is referring to a day of salvation of unbelievers. Through the living, separate life of the, the spiritual immigrant, yet the serving life of the spiritual immigrant, unbelievers will come to desire the Savior whom we live for and live out and tell them about. And the day of visitation is that moment when Christ comes to their life and enters their heart in salvation. Henry, Henry, Matthew Henry comments, a clean, just, good conduct may not only stop their mouths, but may possibly be a means to bring them to glorify God. There is a day of visitation coming when God may call them by his word and grace to repentance. Visitation is used in that gracious sense in Luke 1, 68, Blessed be the Lord, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Day is used in that gracious sense in Luke 19, 9, when Jesus brought salvation to Zacchaeus. This day is salvation come to this house. A day of mercy when Jesus met Zacchaeus. Think of it for a moment. Who's been the most famous or important person that has stood on your doorstep? That has knocked your door? You still remember it at this moment when you opened it and you saw with amazement and delight their phrase, so-and-so has come to my very house. What a phrase it is. The day when Jesus visits a soul and salvation. When he comes not just to knock on the door, but when he comes to open the door in his irresistible power and grace and to save an unbeliever who was convicted and shown the way by your life, by your witness, by your testimony. Someone asked me for a biography of John Newton last week to give to a work colleague who was asking questions about the Lord. Let us pray for them and for some people like them in our lives that very soon Jesus will come to their doorstep and enter their life with salvation. Maybe someone in your family, pray for them in this moment. A child in your home, Pray for them now. Lord, let it be the day of visitation for them. When you come to their doorstep, not just to knock and to wait on them to open, but enter into their life with salvation. The significance of the immigrant, separate but serving. And so we've thought of immigrants today. We've considered the readers as immigrants of this first letter. We've mentioned Abraham as immigrants. We've studied the Christian as immigrants. We've talked about immigrants from many countries. But we cannot close today without considering the supreme immigrant, the Lord Jesus. The Bible says that he came into the world came from another place another country another realm 
The Gospel of John especially is so strong in the pre-existence of the Lord Jesus. He did not begin when everything else had a beginning. He always is and always and ever will be. Yet he spent 33 years on this planet in time in this realm that was foreign to him, bounded by days and by minutes and by seasons. And while here, he accomplished our salvation. He lived for 33 years perfectly before God, and on the cross, he died for the sins of many. And when we repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are made right with God, and we become spiritual immigrants in this world, and we look for our ultimate home in heaven.